You're listening to Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Hi, I'm Nancy McDonald, and I have been in Ketchikan for 36 years, and lately I've become a member of the Nazarene Church. I was baptized there as an adult almost three years ago now, and I have a story to tell you. Actually, it's a, it's a journey that I want to tell you about, and it starts with my knee. And three weeks ago today, I had knee replacement surgery in Seattle. I was not happy about it. 15 days I had to be in Seattle, and it took three people to go with me to get this done. So I went kicking and screaming in a lot of ways, but it had to be done. So as much as I resented it, this is what I prayed. I prayed that it would be for my good and God's glory. And I had many, many, many friends and family praying for me and being with me. And never, never at any moment did I have fear, anxiety, stress. I just had total, total peace. And that should have been my first clue that Jesus was right with me. So after my short 24-hour stay in the hospital, they sent me to a hotel. And I spent... 14 days at that hotel and it had a long long haul and in hindsight now it was probably a really good thing that they sent me there because it was flat and I could take my little walker and I was going up and down that hall and um, it became my prayer hall that every time God would just put a face in my mind that's who I could pray for but in this journey down the hall I met housekeepers and you know what housekeepers are? They're just invisible people. They come in, they clean your room, and they go. But I read a book just recently um, by Mother Teresa that was called Finding Calcutta, and she said, it is the small things that become the big things. And that just hit me as I was reading that and, what, and seeing the housekeepers. And so every morning, the housekeepers would come in, I'd meet them in the hall, and I made a point of just asking them how their day was, looking them in the eye. I mean, it was no big thing. It was nothing. It was really, really a nothing thing. But it's the inv invisible people that we don't think about. And on the very last day that I was there, this housekeeper, who barely speaks English. I can't tell you what her name was. I, I don't know. It was just a woman that I smiled at and greeted in the morning, came up and gave me a bouquet of flowers. My bouquet of flowers. I brought them back with me. These are priceless to me. And she gave me a card. And I was just so overwhelmed that she would care that much about me hobbling down the hall with a walker. And... She looked at me, and the only thing that I could understand out of her broken English was, you have, the, you have a face of love. And I said, and then the Holy Spirit came, and I just hugged and hugged and hugged her, and um, I said a blessing over her, and I realized that face of love, and I told her, it's not me, it's Jesus. It's the face of Jesus. She is 
the face of Jesus, a woman who I will never know, but it was a witness. And um, I've always been afraid of witnessing because you have to do this big preaching or saying something. I didn't have to do that. All I had to do was every morning look at her and smile to some invisible person. And she cared enough that it meant so much that she brought me flowers. And that's the love and joy of Christ and the light that shines, even when we don't know it's shining. I love Nancy's story uh, because uh, it was so simple, right? Um, it, it was the small thing that made a big difference. And, uh, and sometimes I think when it comes to our Christian walk and being lights for Christ and um, sharing the good news of Jesus, I think we overcomplicate it. Um, I think sometimes we think that we have to know all the right words or we have to um, uh, carry the Bible around with us and have Romans Road memorized. Or we have to have uh, all these things that we have to do and have organized in order to be able to efficiently share the gospel with someone. Um, but sometimes it's those really simple little moments, the little things that become big things, right? Um, and uh, that make the biggest difference, that then open up an opportunity. And then the Holy Spirit does come and fill those moments and gives you the words and gives you the boldness. And uh, it starts simply by smiling at people. Um, how many, just exercise with me in your imagination, how many times this past week, don't say it out loud, just think, did you walk past people without actually looking at them? How many times were you in the grocery store? Were you uh, downtown? Were you at work? And you walked past people without making eye contact and smiling. Um, we, we tend to do that. We get tunnel vision and we, we just do what we do without considering the people around us. Um, but we have a unique opportunity as Christians to consider the people around us as greater than ourselves, which means picking our eyeballs up off our phone or our book or our thought process and looking at the people that are around us and looking them in the eye and smiling, saying, hi, how are you? And actually caring about what they say in return rather than I'm fine, how are you? Banter that goes back and forth as you're still walking, right? Because you know it, you, you pass someone, hi, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. And you're talking as you're walking. You don't stop because it's not that you, you don't really care. It's just the polite social thing to do. What if we really cared? What if we really stopped? What if we really looked someone in the eye? We might have lots of those little moments where God provides an opportunity for us to love someone, to share our joy um, that we have with other people. And this morning, we're going to read about Paul um, and his thoughts on sharing joy. Um, so we're going to talk about being joy shares. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, go ahead and flip there. Verse 12, starting in verse 12. I'm going to pray for the word, and then uh, we'll go ahead and, and, and dig in. Lord, um, as we read your word this morning, would you, uh, would you be faithful to what your word says? And would you bless the reader and the hearers this morning, that we might know your heart, uh, that we might be filled with your joy, and that we might um, share your joy with other people. May you uh, craft us to be more like you. Would you help us to be obedient? Uh, we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. 
Um, so uh, Philippians chapter 2, if you haven't read it in a while, we read it the very first week. It was a couple weeks ago. Philippians chapter 2 starts off with Christ's example of humility. It's this beautiful, um, immense picture of God's uh, love for us in Christ Jesus and that he came to earth and humbled himself and that he served and that he went to the cross willingly and that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead and that he seated at the right hand of the Father. It's this beautiful, beautiful explanation of Jesus. If you want to understand the gospel, memorize the first half of Philippians chapter 2. But then immediately after the verse where it says, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, there's a connection word. And the connection word is therefore, okay? Um, and in, in, in speaking, in writing uh, paragraphs and sentences and language and English and all that kind of stuff, connection words are important because they take what was just talked about and they attach it to what you're going to talk about. So everything that Paul just talked about, about Jesus, therefore, so because of what we know about Jesus, this is where Paul picks up. So therefore, because of what we know about Jesus, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you might be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is saying, listen, because of Jesus and only because of Jesus, and we've talked about this, because by therefore, where are all the prepositions? I forget my prepositions. In, by, from, through, um, of Jesus, right? Those great prepositions. Because of Jesus, Paul says, and everything that Jesus has done for us, we must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We must work to understand who Jesus is. We must um, apply ourselves to learning him and loving him and serving him. And this is a, an action that we take. He says, listen, when you do this, God works in you and it pleases him and it's good for you. So therefore serve God and do it in a crooked and twisted generation. So work out your own salvation. Make sure you know whom you are serving so that you can be lights in a crooked generation. And then he continues, listen, I understand. I might actually be poured out as a drink offering, i.e. I might die. Uh, I recognize that there's a death sentence over my head. But do you want to know what? I'm glad. And I want you to be glad with me. Paul is saying, listen, I have a joy that's unshakable. I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I'm forgiven. And Paul knows that he has many sins. He used to persecute and kill Christians. Um, so he had a lot of weight that was taken off his soul when Jesus died on the cross for his sins. And then he served Jesus. He worked out his own salvation with fear and trembling. And he shared Jesus with everyone, wherever he went, as a light in a crooked generation. And it ended up on death row for him. And on death row, he is able to say with certainty, 
I am glad. I am rejoicing. In fact, I'm writing to you, Church of Philippi, to let you know that there's no place else I'd rather be. My heart is happy with where I am right now because I am preaching Jesus and people are coming to know who he is. So likewise, you should also be glad. Don't be sad for me. Be glad and also rejoice in your own life. Paul is saying, listen, it doesn't matter if you're in the good times or the bad times. If your joy is in Christ and it's unshakable, then rejoice and share your joy with other people. Paul, who for all intents and purposes should not have joy, right, was able to say, I've got so much joy, I want to share it with you. I want to share my joy from death row with you in the Church of Philippi. I want to encourage you so that you can have strong joy. If I can have joy here, you can have joy where you are. Let me encourage you is what Paul is saying. He wants to share his joy. Now, we remember from the very first week that we talked about Philippians because we circled the words up here, the number of times joy and rejoice were spoken. And it's a whole lot, right? Um, which is why we find one of the main themes in the book of Philippians, joy. The word joy is a compound word. The original language has two word parts, and they are smushed together. Okay? Um, and they mean to fully rest on the grace of God. So you've got a one word part, which gives you the picture of throwing your full weight down on something. Like that really comfortable chair that you like to sit in at the end of a hard day, right? Um, and you just, you, without even thinking that this won't support me in any way, you just know that when you sit on it, it will absorb you and carry you and support you completely. You trust that chair, right? That's the word picture that this is for resting fully. So you throw yourself fully on the grace of God, knowing that it will support you and lift you up and never fail you. And that is where joy comes from, a fully resting on the grace of God. So if that's our joy... How do we get that joy? Um, if you flip to John, the Gospel of John, it's a really interesting passage in here. Jesus says a lot of really great things. Can I get an amen? amen. Right? Um, and so pretty much anything that you read that Jesus says, in fact, all of it, very acrobatic, all right? All of it is applicable to your life, right? Um, sometimes in more seasons than others, you find great meaning in certain passages. Uh, in John chapter 15, starting in verse 4, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And it's this great passage you might be familiar with, uh, that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches passage, right? And we read that passage sometimes, and there's these great stories that go along with it about how you bear fruit when you're connected to Jesus. And we'll read the words in just a moment. And, and there's, there's lots of stuff in there, and it's, it's almost always connected to bearing fruit for Jesus, which is really important because we can't bear fruit apart from Jesus. But there's part of it that we always leave off, I think. We just don't read the last part. And so we're going to read it all and then read the last part. And it starts in John chapter 15, verse 4. And this is so essential. This is where we find our joy. Abide in me and I in you, Jesus says. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. There's a personal relationship happening here. I am the vine. And you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, 
you can do nothing. That kind of sounds like, um, you know how Paul was talking in Philippians and we read it the other week, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, this is just this is just taking Jesus's words and, and rephrasing them. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but with me, you can do all things. Is kind of the subtext there. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to me by disciples as the father has loved me. So I have loved you abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I has kept my, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Here's the kicker. These things I have spoken to you, right? There's a connection phrase, these things. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants to share his joy with you. That's mind-blowing. Does that, does that, anybody else? Because our God, Jesus, is a God who is full of joy and love. In fact, his very nature is love. And here he's saying, listen, I have love and I want you to be with me so you can have my love. And beyond that, I don't just want to give you love, but I want to give you joy. And not just any joy, not just that joy over there or a portion of that joy over there. I want to give you the joy of Jesus. The never-ending, always supplied, can't run out of it, really good, sustaining joy. Jesus wants to give you all of the joy that God has for you, in you. And I don't know that as Christians we really recognize that truth. I think sometimes we think we get joy in seasons that we get pockets of joy. But that would be the adversary speaking a lie to us that we cannot live a victorious life, that we cannot live a truly joyful life, that we can't actually be lights in the world because we still struggle with things. But the truth of the matter is from Jesus's mouth to our ears and hearts, he wants to give us all of his joy. Right? Yeah. Woo. I like that. Okay, that preaches. God wants to give us all of his joy. But for what end? As Christians, we are called not to live a finder's keepers type of life, but a finder's sharers kind of life. I didn't know how better to phrase it. Um, Jesus, right? wants to give you all of his joy. But he doesn't want you to keep it. That's the catch. The beauty of God's joy is it never runs out, which means you can't give it away fast enough, right? Because it's always being replenished faster than you can give it away. God wants you to be so overfull Overfilled? Overflowing? Have so much joy that it just spills out of you wherever you go. Now, there's the old word picture 
uh, uh, image, I, I didn't think about it till just now, so I don't have the example to give, but imagine you're holding a cup, right? And you filled it with water, right? And then you squeeze it. What comes out of that cup? Water, right? I mean, that's not a trick question. I'm not trying to pull the fleece <laughs> over your eyes here. Water comes out of that cup. Our Christian lives are much like that. Um, so we are continually being filled with the Holy Spirit, with refreshing life water from Jesus, with joy and love and grace and forgiveness. And when hard things come our way, when our cup is squeezed, what is being poured into us comes out of us, right? But the beauty is when we get squeezed by hard things, the water just keeps filling us up, right? We will never run out of the joy. Even when hard things happen, joy can still come out of our life. God wants us to be joy sharers, not joy keepers. Um, and, uh, and there's a couple reasons why. If you flip to 1 Thessalonians for me. Again, we're just bouncing around in Paul's letters. Um, because we see in Philippians, he's talking about sharing. Let's look at the broader uh, context of Pauline letters and see that he talks about this a lot. This isn't just a one-time thing. This is something that shaped the course of Paul's life. And so when we look at 1 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, yes, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 8. Chapter 2, verse 8. And he's talking about the ministry to the Thessalonians. And he's talking about sharing, okay? And, and, and he's saying, listen, there are reasons we share our joy. There are reasons we're not findies keepies. There are reasons we're findy sherry, right? We are defined by findy sherry, not findy keepy. Matt? Chapter 2, verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, Paul says. Because I care about you, I share joy. That is it. Being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also ourselves, because you had become very dear to us. Okay, so Paul is saying, listen, you are filled with the joy of the Lord. Therefore, share it. Share the gospel with other people. Share yourselves with other people because you care about them and here's where we come full circle to the testimony nancy shared with us how often do we walk past people how often do we not look people in the eye how often do we not really care when we ask how are you today good fine thanks how often are we too busy to really have a conversation with someone if we are filled with the love of Jesus, because our sins have been forgiven, we've been forgiven much, right? And we are filled with the joy of Jesus, because Jesus says, I will give you my joy. If you spend time in my love, you will have joy. And we are supposed to share our joy with other people. It doesn't work if we don't love other people the way God has called us to love other people. We must look for those opportunities to not only share the gospel, but to share ourselves. To be lights in a dark world, we actually have to have relationship with people in the dark world, right? 
We have to spend time with people who don't know the love of Jesus so that they can see how it plays out in our life and also it might open up an opportunity to share with them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it often starts just by making eye contact with someone, just by recognizing they exist, just by saying, I see you. Um, sharing uh, the good news, the joy that we have, it also encourages other believers. How many of you have been encouraged by one of the testimony videos that you've seen? Right? I have. I watch each one probably five to six times a week. Um, prior to us seeing it on Sunday morning because I, I talk with the person who films it and then we film it and I edit it. And so, you know, it takes me a while and I'm watching it. I am continually encouraged by these things. I'm, I'm chewing on the testimonies that people are sharing and they are challenging me throughout the course of the week to be aware of that aspect of my life. It's someone else's joy experience challenging me to be a better Christian and a better pastor, right? So we can mutually encourage one another with joy. It unites us for the glory of God, and, and it unites us on fire in this community to be joy sharers. And in all of that, it gives glory to God, because when we share the joy that we have, that God loves us, and our circumstances could be up or down, but God is so good. When we can share that through our actions or our words, the way that we live our life, the way that we respond to trials and temptations, it speaks volumes to the people around us. Because I guarantee you, the people who are not believers in your life are watching you. They are watching the way you act. They are watching the way you speak. They are watching the way you treat other people. They are watching the way you respond when things happen in your life. The, Probably the greatest way you share the love of Jesus is just by living your life in Christ. Which is why Jesus said, abide in me and let me abide in you. Because if we are with him, then he comes out of us. We have to share the joy that God has given us. Now I read, I read an article um, and, and uh, it was talking about the joy of God and how the love and the joy of God compels us, as Romans would say, to, to act and to serve. There was one sentence in that article that, you know when you read something and you're like, this is all really good, really, really good, and then you read that one line and that one line is like the kick in the pants and you're like, oh, that's the one, that's the one that just, yes, it hits home. Okay. God-given joy produces in the believer Risk-taking love. Oh, I love that. God-given joy in the believer produces risk-taking love. If you, as a believer, have been filled to overflowing with the joy of God, then that produces in you risk-taking love. So what do those risks look like? Those risks are way that we share our joy, the way that we are, as Paul would have put it in Philippians, right? Um, uh, lights in a crooked and twisted generation, right? It's a risk, is it not, to be a light in a crooked and twisted generation? Um, what are the ways that we share our joy, the ways that we risk, right? Here are just a few broad categories. 
The first is giving. Flip to 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Again, a letter that Paul wrote. Church of Corinthians. He wrote them two letters. They were, you know, lucky enough to get two. Here's what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They gave according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means, and they gave of their own free will. They begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So here we have a group of believers who are under severe affliction and desperately poor, and they said, oh, please, oh, please, we love God so much that we will give what we don't even have in faith, that God will bless the saints to further the kingdom work of God. That's so cool. That is joy. They know that no matter what happens, God's taking care of them. They trust God so much that they are willing to give their last everything to help somebody else, to encourage somebody else. This is a picture of sacrificial, joyful giving. That's a way we can share our joy. Giving something valuable to others. Now, <coughs> I think it's said in Philippians, if I remember correctly. Um, where is it? Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering. Sometimes the most valuable thing you have is your own life. Paul was willing to give it for the sake of people coming to know Jesus. He said, there's no greater joy I have than people coming to know Jesus. So therefore, I will give my life willingly if that's what it will take. Greater love has no one than this, than he who lays his life down for his brother. That's what scripture would tell us. Give something valuable to share your joy. Because when people receive something of great value from you, whether it's monetary, whether it's um, serving someone in a way that is costly to you, costs your time, costs your energy, um, it speaks volumes to them because it shows you see them and you care about them and what's going on in their life. Um, another way we can share our joy is to love people. Mind-blowing, right? Um, if you flip to Philippians again, Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in one accord and of one mind. If we as Christian believers are not unified under one Lord, not united in one spirit, not sharing the same love of Christ and sharing the same joy, but we are a fractured people, how are we to be lights in the world? How is the kingdom of God going to look to a fractured and broken generation if we ourselves are fractured and broken? 
One of the greatest testimonies we can have as Christians is that we are united in the love of Christ. Christ says, I will give you my love and my joy. If it is in me, it will be in you if you hang out with me. So we must work to preserve the unity of the believers, right? Because that is a great testimony to the world around us. When we as a body of believers look and act lovingly different than the rest of the world, that speaks volumes to the community around us. It's a way we can share our joy. And then probably the one that most people think of is proclaiming Christ. Obviously with our words, right? Where we can go up to someone and we can say, hey, Jesus died on the cross for you. Did you know that? He loves you. He paid the penalty for your sins. You don't have to be separated from God anymore. In fact, there can be someone who walks with you your whole life that encourages you and fills you with joy. And That's the verbal proclamation that we make. And that's the one people are most scared of, right? You admitted it in, the, in your video, Nancy, that you, know, you think sometimes sharing the testimony or the gospel is this big thing, right? And I think that too, and it's challenging, and I think we all struggle with that. What happens if they ask me about my faith? <laughs> what am I going to say? Jesus will help you, right? But those opportunities usually come about when you've loved someone first, when you've prayed for someone for a while, when you've greeted someone by name, when you've valued someone and spent time serving them and loving them and inviting them into your life and letting them see the way joy works itself out in someone's life then they begin to wonder why do you seem to fare life differently than i do and then it's not this awkward conversation but it's a very personal conversation and you're able to say well i have a friend named jesus and then the words come however they come from your experiences to their ears and the Lord works in those moments, and you go later that night, and you think, did I just share my testimony with someone? Did, that wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. That wasn't awkward at all. In fact, there are some things that I think I could follow up on next week with them. And then you start to have these conversations. And then suddenly, someone says, well, we've talked about this for a while. How, how do I get to walk with Jesus? And then the words come to you again. You say, well, let me pray with you. Confess with your mouth and believe with your heart. Jesus will fill you with joy and love. Look to John 15. If you abide in me and I in you, then my love abides in you. And you abide with me and the Father. And we're all one happy family together. And don't you want to be part of that family? Come be part of the family. I'll pray with you. And it's not awkward. But sometimes we think that evangelism and sharing our joy is walking up to someone with a Bible in our hand. It says in the Bible that you are a sinner. Right? That's what we think, right? That's what we start with sometimes. It says right there in Romans, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. So I need you to know how horrible you are before I can tell you how much God loves you. <laughs> right? What if sometimes we started with, did you know God loves you? Like he made you perfectly. He said you were good. He knows every hair on your head and he loves you. That's a great way to start talking to people, right? He loves you. I love you. Let's be friends. If you hang out with me, eventually you'll get to see a little bit of Jesus, right? So we are to share our joy, right? But in order to share the joy, I'm going to go full circle here. We have to have the joy, right? 
And I think sometimes we, we know we've got the joy, we've trusted Jesus for our salvation, but we begin to live under our own esteem and power rather than God's connection to the vine, right? And so this morning we have to, as we enter into a time of worship, ask ourselves, do we really have the joy of Christ in our life? Are we living a joyful life? And if so, what are we doing with that joy? Do we have opportunity to share the joy? I guarantee you we do. Are we being obedient to do that? Are we pouring ourselves out for the sake of someone who doesn't yet know Christ, who doesn't have that joy. So the team's going to come up and lead us in worship. Um, the elements of communion are always available because maybe today you need the cup and the little wafer and you need to take that meal with Jesus and say, uh, Jesus, I just need that meal of grace in my life to receive joy once again, to be filled once again. But as we worship and we sing, ask God a few questions. Am I filled with your joy fully? Or have I been trying to live on my own steam? Help me. Fill me. Secondly, who around me can I share my joy with? The answer should be everybody, but maybe a specific person will come to mind. And then you can start to pray about how to share your joy, the joy of Jesus with that person. There was a third one, but I can't remember it. So I'm sure God will speak to you as he so desires. Um, and uh, let's pray and then worship. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the immense amount of joy that undergirds every step of our life. There is no place we can go that escapes your love, your grace, your joy, and your mercy. We ask that in these moments as we worship you, perhaps as we see the communion elements, as we pray, as we listen, as we question, as we dialogue, as we're just real. Would you respond to your people? Would you speak to them as they need to hear from you? Would you unite us in your love? Would you graft us to your vine? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you create in us a joy that can only come from you and a passion for others that can only come from you? May we have lives that are filled to overflowing with joy. Pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've just heard a message from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. To learn more about our church, or to support our ministries, you can visit ktnnaz.org.